1: Brett here. Before we get to the show, quick heads up. I have changed the theme music for the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, I've been wanting to do this for a few months, a couple reasons why. One reason, we did a whole redesign of the Art of Manliness back in January, where we went from like that Victorian feel to a more 1970s, 80s vibe. So I wanted some podcast music to fit that branding, quote unquote. Also, over the years, I've gotten complaints about the current music, those blaring horns, the bang. I guess when you're wearing earbuds, it's not very pleasant. Also, just really harsh sounding. So I've been wanting to change it for that reason as well. So after months of listening to hundreds of tracks, hours just mind-nummied surfing, looking through and listening to the stuff, I found it. The new intro music, The Art of Manly's podcast. I was going for like something like Kojak, Streets of San Francisco vibe, where it's smooth but has a driving edge. This is it. So without further ado, world debut of the new AOM podcast, intro music. It's called Soul Jazz. I like it. I hope you like it too. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, when you ask people about their schedules, they'll typically tell you about how they're very busy and don't have enough time for sleep or for leisure activities. Yet, when they're actually asked to track their time, it turns out they work less and sleep more than they realize. My guest today studied and dug into this disparity. Her name is Laura Vanderkam, and she's the author of several books on the personal use of time, including the focus of our discussion today. It's called Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done. Today on the show, Laura and I discuss why there's a gap between how busy people think they are are versus how busy they actually are. We then unpack what the people who don't feel oppressed by the phantom of busyness do differently than those who do, why time goes by faster when you're older than it did when you were young, and how you can still slow down time as an adult. We talk about how what you really want are more memories, not more time, and how to find more adventure in your ordinary life. We end our conversation discussing how tracking your time can create a more memorable life, why you need to create open spaces in your schedule, and the one tactic you can begin doing this week to start making more of your time. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is. Slash off the clock. Laura joins me now via clearcast.io. All right, Laura Vanderkam, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So you've made a career for yourself researching and writing about how people spend their time. For example, you've written a lot of best-selling books like you know what the most successful people do before breakfast, 168 hours. Now you're out this new book, off the clock, feel less busy while getting more done. How'd you end up doing what you're doing, like researching and writing about how people spend their time?
0: Well, it's been a long time in, in coming in. And I it was not a straightforward story of like I knew growing up I wanted to write about time, but. I did realize something that seems, you know, obvious in retrospect, but at the time was profound and it's sort of shaped all my writing on it, which is that we all have the same amount of time. Like, I find this such an incredible thing. You know, some people have more money or more naturally talented at whatever else than the rest of us may be, but we all have the same amount of time. And so since our lives are lived in hours, we all have access to the exact same building blocks to, to create the lives we want. And I I just find that so fascinating. And also this reality that how we think we spend our time is often not how we actually spend our time. And I'm fascinated by topics where I think the the prevailing wisdom is wrong. I I don't think people are increasingly busy, increasingly sleep deprived or anything like that. Um, so I find that interesting
1: too. Well, let's get into that. So you've done a lot of these time surveys Well, you'll get a whole bunch of people to start tracking their time meticulously because they they haven't before. And they'll say, oh, I'm just so busy. I'm, I never have time for anything. But then you have them actually track their time. So let's do this. First off, let's look at the surveys before people track their time. Like what, what do the surveys say about people in what you call time stress, like that feeling you don't have any time? What are, What are the general trends there?
0: Well, you know, Lots of people say that they have intense time stress. I mean, certainly majorities will answer Gallup's poll saying, you know, do you have time for the things that you want to do? And most people say, no, I don't. And it's more pronounced, of course, among people who have full-time jobs, or people who have children at home, and people who have both of those are, of course, in the most time-crunched category, you know. People have always thought that they are busier than anyone else at any other time in human history. It's it's kind of funny because I read, I collect old magazines, like old copies of Fortune Magazine from the 1950s. And there was one particularly funny article I remember as a survey of, of businessmen about the state of everything. And at the time, you know, marginal tax rates were quite high. And, and so the question, the policy question out there was like, well, if, if tax rates are lower, will people work more? And the businessmen were like, well, we'd like lower taxes, but how could we possibly be working more? You know, it doesn't even seem, uh, you know, that there are more hours we could be working more, uh, you know? So of course now people would say the same thing too, that how could I possibly be working anymore? And so people have kind of always felt that way.
1: So but there's a difference between feeling like you don't have enough time and actually not having time. So what are these time diary studies that you've done? What do they say about how people are actually spending their time?
0: Yeah, so I first came across this idea of a time diary study when I came across the American Time Use Survey, which is this fantastic study that the Bureau of Labor Statistics does annually, where they call up thousands of Americans rolling over the whole year, so any day of the year, and they basically ask you to talk through yesterday. So there's no question like, what's a typical day? What does a normal day in your life look like? Or how much, did you, how much do you sleep on a typical night? Or any question like that, that can be very misleading. They just have you talk through yesterday. And then they average all these things and they get a picture of American life. And I was looking at the survey for the first time a couple of years ago. And I'm like, wait, you mean the average American sleeps more than eight hours a day? And in fact, that's true. You know, when you actually have people recount yesterday, as opposed to some day that we've got stuck in our minds as a typical day. And so, you know, I found this utterly fascinating. So I've decided to start doing my own time diary studies. So for several of my books, I've recruited big numbers of people to track their time, either for a day or a week, depending on the methodology I was doing, and then to answer questions about their lives. And, you know, you find some fascinating things. There's there's quite a gap between per- perception of where the time goes and reality, certainly on aspects of how much we sleep, how much we work, how much time we devote to things like housework, how much free time we have, all those kinds of things.
1: Well, let's talk about those discrepancies. So like what like when you people at, when you ask people before you do the survey, like, well, you know, how on average, how often, how many hours a week do you work? What do they say? Or like when they say, oh, how many on average, how many hours and uh, sleep do you get at night? What do they say? And then what are the actual results typically?
0: Yeah, I've definitely had people say, oh, you know, I work about 60 hours a week and then I have them track their time and it's like 42. And now the 42 is a very long week, by the way. I mean, cause that's, Besides lunch, you know, breaks you take during the day or if you, you know, come in late because of traffic jam or you have to jet out early for a a dentist appointment or something, you know. So 42 hours is, is quite a long work week. It's also not 60. But what's happening is that we tend to remember our longest days or our longest weeks as typical. And I'm sure that person has, in fact, worked 60 hours at some point during their life of a week, but, or that they've worked 12 hours on some day. And so they're remembering that day and multiplying by five, but it's probably not typical. Same thing with with sleep. We tend to do in the opposite direction. We tend to remember our worst nights as typical, largely because it really stinks not to sleep. I mean, (laughs) you know, we all know that. So, So negative things tend to stand out in the mind. But when you have people track the the whole of their time, you get different results. So I I had for one of my books a couple of years ago, and I was looking particularly at women who had big jobs and also had kids. Um, so you know, working mothers, there's definitely the story out here of like, oh, you know, you never sleep, right? There's a quote of like, these people talk about sleep the way a a starving man talks about food. And yet I found that 90% of the people I studied averaged at least seven hours a day over the course of the week you know, so that's pretty good.
1: It is really good. And there's been also some other interesting things that come out of this. Like, you know, a lot of people, there's like all these alarmist things going on that people aren't spending enough time with their kids today because they're so busy with work and other activities. But surveys show that people actually spend more time with their kids now than parents did in the 1950s or 60s when it was supposed to be sort of like, when that was the age when parents did lots of stuff with kids.
0: Yeah, it turns out they really didn't. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. We we have faulty memories of this. Yeah, you know, Some of it's just differences in parenting. People were more likely to just sort of send their kids out on their bikes all day and you know, collect them when it got dark, and, and that was acceptable. And a lot of people just don't do that anymore, so the kids are around their parents more um, just because of that. But yeah, interactive time has risen both for men and women. And it makes sense probably for men if we sort of have the image of a 1950s dad who didn't even know how to change diapers. Well, clearly, you know, most fathers would, would be appalled at that idea now. And so we, we understand that that number might, would probably have gone up. But it turns out it's gone up for women too, even as, as the vast majority of women are now in the workforce.
1: Were there any results from your time diary studies that surprised you like you weren't expecting at all?
0: Well, I was very excited about the the sleep one because it just, you know, you, you hear this all the time that if you're going to build a career and raise a family, you will never sleep again. And, and I think that it's really important to tell people that's not true. Like, yes, there's going to be bad nights. And, you know, if you have a kid who's under like a year old, yes, there's going to be more interrupted nights. But children only spend a few years being in the baby stage. Uh, even if you have multiple children, you only spend a few years in the baby stage. So it does get better for for the most part. You know, one, one thing that was interesting is that parents do have leisure time. It probably doesn't tend to show up as a day at the spa, but uh, there's often some time after, after kids go to bed or on weekends, you know, where the kids are occupied with other things or you're trading off with your spouse. So, so there is some time that can be used. And I think that was an exciting thing to find as well.
1: Well, another thing you uncovered in your surveys is that you know, a lot of people felt like they didn't have any time. They had that time stress, but they actually did have time when they tracked it. But there there was a group of people that you uncovered that they didn't feel pressed for time. They actually felt pretty calm and relaxed. So like, what separated those people who like had a, an accurate perception of what the time available they had compared to the other people who felt really stressed out about a time, but they shouldn't have been stressed out in the first place?
0: Well, there's a couple of things that were different. So, you know, for this book, Off the Clock, I had 900 people track their time for a day. And then I asked them questions about how they felt about their time. And there were a couple of, you know, I could assign people a score. People had high time perception scores, felt like time was generally abundant. People had low time perception scores, felt like they were stressed or starved for time. And and there were a couple of differences. You know, one, the people who felt more like time was abundant, actually had a better sense of where their time went. Like they could they could fill out the survey easier. I mean that was that was one thing right there. So so being mindful of your time is, is probably the first step. And they were also somewhat counterintuitively more likely to do quite interesting things on the March Monday that I had them track. So people in my top group were were doing such interesting things on a Monday night as like going to salsa dancing lessons or going to a big band concert or taking their family to a movie on a Monday night, which, you know, I think a lot of people are like, wait, that's, that's like not a Monday night activity, you know, but by doing memorable things, they became in their minds the kind of person who has the time to do these sorts of things. They were more likely to spend their leisure time interacting with friends and family. They were less likely to spend their leisure time watching TV or on social media and in general, they checked their phones less frequently than the people who felt starved for time. It's certainly not like they were they were monks about it. Like, I mean, everyone was checking at least hourly. So, like, you know, not to Claim that people were those sort of magical sorts who managed to check their phones once a day, but, but there's a big difference between checking once an hour and checking like twenty times an hour in terms of how we perceive our
1: time. Well, we'll unpack some of these things that these folks did a little bit more. But what I also like about your book, Off the Clock, you kind of get in the psychology of time because it's really weird. There's a there's a really weird psychological thing going on on how we perceive time. So sometimes in our life we perceive like time going really slow. And other times like it seems like it's going by really fast. You're like, oh my gosh, it was just, you know, February, it was just January a week ago, but it was actually two months ago. So like what goes on there where it feels like time slows down? It feels like we have all the time in the world, but other times it feels like time's just going by. It's like a blur.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting because there's slow good and there's slow bad. <laughs> and uh, many of us have been in the unfortunate situation where time appears to be going very slowly, but not in a good way. Like your kid is screaming on a cross-country flight. It, it feels like five hours. You are paying for it in second long increments. Or if you're stuck in an incredibly boring meeting or you're in a traffic jam or something like that, these, these are very painful, slow moments. But the question, right? You know, is it possible to make good moments seem to pass as slowly as these bad moments? And on one level, no, but there are certain interesting things, as you said, with, with time perception. And one is that the more memories we have of any given unit of time, the longer it seems. So for most people, for instance, the, the four years of high school or the four years of college seem actually quite a bit longer than the previous four years of your life because you had more memories of of those times. Uh, You know, what makes a memory? Well, doing something for the first time or something being very emotionally intense. And and we go through a lot more of those sort of emotionally intense experiences as as young people when we're kind of figuring out the world. Uh, Or even just if you think about, you know, going on a vacation somewhere exotic, like the first day, it feels incredibly long. And what's going on is it's all new. And your brain has absolutely no idea what it's going to need to remember in the future. So it's remembering all of it. Uh, and, And that makes time seem more vast. Whereas like getting up and getting ready and going to work two days ago, you probably have absolutely no memory of that whatsoever. Because it was the exact same thing you've done every day for the past however many years. And so your brain being very utilitarian decides that it has no reason to hold on to the memory of doing this and so it's just gone this time is, is completely disappeared into a memory sinkhole and and what makes sort of those weeks and years race by then is when we have kind of too many of those memory sinkholes when you know weeks and months of of sameness stack up where there's nothing new, there's nothing emotionally intense, then, then you don't remember it. And you wind up being that person who's saying to some kid you haven't seen in three years, oh my goodness, look how much you've grown <laughs> because it didn't seem like three years to you.
1: Yeah. The analogy that I've heard used to describe when we experience something new and why looking back on it seems like it, it lasted a long time. It's like slow motion footage on a camera Right in order to get that slow motion footage the camera has to take lots and lots of frames per second so it has a lot of footage there so your brain does something similar when something new happens like you said because it doesn't know what the stuff it needs to remember or not remember so it just takes a whole bunch of quote unquote footage and then you play it back and it kind of it's slow motion in your mind
0: yeah, I think that's that's a great analogy, that that it is taking in a lot of this new stuff, this different stuff, this uncertain stuff, and, and then that becomes a stronger memory than sort of everyday sameness.
1: We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Wedding season is coming up, and if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? You can grow lemon, avocado, olive, or fig trees inside your home on top of the wide variety of houseplants available. And I went on Fast Growing Trees, found the tree that fit the criteria that I was looking for, turns bright red. It's a maple tree that turns bright red in the fall. So if you want to try Fast Growing Trees, right now they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code MANLINESS at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using code MANLINESS at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code MANLINESS, Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. And now back to the show. So let's get to this idea, some of the tactics that you got from the people who didn't feel time stress. And we've been talking about these memories. And I thought you quoted this person. It was Leela Devachi. Is that how you say her name? Professor? She's a psychologist. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. psychology <laughs> professor Lila Devachi says that when a lot of people, when they say we want more time, what we really want is more memories.
0: Yeah. And I would add to that, that we want more time that we feel good about. Like nobody wants more time in the middle of a kid temper tantrum. Like nobody wants more time in a traffic jam or in an extremely boring meeting or when you're like physically uncomfortable in some way. Uh, These are not, you know, times that we want more time. We want more time that we are happy about. And, And because, and her point with the memories is just, you want more time that you've done things that you, look back on fondly. You, you want a richer life is, is what you want. Uh, and so these things are all interrelated.
1: And I love this uh, idea you put out there to unpack this idea even more is that a useful way to get more memories is think of ourselves as three people. Uh, so there's like the past self, present self, and future self. So how can thinking about us as three people help us, I don't know, provide like a mindset to, you know, take more memories in?
0: Yeah, well, if you think about where your kind of mental script is going, we're, we're all carrying on some sort of conversation in our brains constantly. If you ever pause and think about what you are thinking about in any given moment, you're either where you are now in the present or you are looking forward to the future or you are thinking about something that happened in the past. And these three selves are all part of our identity. And and the issue though, for, for our needing to create memories and do novel and intense things, is we, I found this great quote from a philosopher that we pamper the present like a spoiled child. And so in your mind, you may be the kind of person who would love to go to a cool art exhibit after work someday and, and you know, go to this museum with evening hours and see the stuff. And maybe there's a band that's playing it there and say, the, it sounds awesome. But then, you know, after work, well, you're tired and it's raining and your couch looks really inviting. So you're like, oh, well, you know, I I don't have to do that. And it's like, well, okay, that's true. But when we give in too much to the present, to the experiencing self, and don't think about what the anticipating self wanted to do or what the remembering self will have been happy to have done, then we wind up doing nothing, and then, and then, as we said, you know, these years disappear into memory sinkholes. So, you know, try. I try to remember, and I encourage other people to try to think. You know, whatever you are listening to, the you know, the current present experiencing self, remind yourself that this is just one actor trying to carry out a monologue in what should be a three-actor play. And if you thought something sounded really cool, and you think you will have been happy to have done it afterwards, like just go do it. <laughs> yes, you may be tired, but I don't know about you, but you know, between the career and the kids, I, I I could always be tired, right? Like I mean, the fact that you're tired does not in and of itself mean you shouldn't do something and we tend to draw energy from meaningful things.
1: And I like the the uh, the imagery you had of like, you know, think of like putting like a treasure in a chest for your future self to look back on. He can go through and rummage through all the memories like you're doing that now. And so like, think about like what kind of stuff do you want to find in find in that box when you're like 70 or 80 years old?
0: Yeah. Because if you don't put it in there, it will never be in there. I mean, I guess you could try to create fake memories after the fact, but I think it's, it's more fun if they were there in the first place.
1: And so this is easy. You don't have to go on an exotic trip. It, it could just be, you go to the museum after work or you take the kids to a movie on a Monday night.
0: Yeah, it really doesn't have to be profound. And and so the things I saw in my time diary study were, were highly likely to be those kinds of adventures. I mean, you know, probably somebody wasn't taking my survey if they were in Tahiti. Not that you shouldn't go to Tahiti, but you know, again, those are more once in a lifetime type experiences. You, you can create adventure out of your normal life, but you have to think about doing it. And sometimes you have to nudge yourself a little bit over that initial resistance.
1: Yeah, we had a, a- a guest on the podcast a while back ago, Alistair Humphreys. He's a, an adventurer, like a professional adventurer, but he wrote this book called Micro Adventures, talking about just taking little small adventures in your backyard. And it could be something as simple as like spending the night in your backyard with your kids in a sleeping bag out in the stars. That's it. That that could be a great memory.
0: Yeah. No, that's a, I mean, that that's so true that, and it might help to make a list and and maybe it's about consulting a book like that of micro adventures or looking at Things that are cool to do within two hours of your house, right? I mean, even if you're not in a particularly great touristy area, probably if you give yourself a two-hour radius, which you could drive to on a weekend, there's a reasonable amount of fun stuff and adventurous stuff you could do. Uh, And, you know, ask your kids, ask your partner what you'd like, what they'd like to do. And you can start pulling things off this list and attempt to create, you know, little adventures in your life. Maybe daily doesn't work, but, you know, twice a week probably could.
1: Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about this idea of being mindful of your time. So I imagine that just involves tracking your time. Is that is that all it is to become mindful of your time, just tracking it, sort of like tracking your food or tracking your money?
0: Well, I certainly recommend tracking your time. I mean, there's other ways. You can start, sort of reflect on your day and look forward to your next day without Really filling out a spreadsheet, which is what I do. But I'm a huge fan of time tracking. I've actually been tracking my time continuously for about four years now, which I know makes me sound like just a ton of fun. But it's so, it, it's partly about having these cemented memories for me because I have spreadsheets outlining how I spent the 168 hours of every week since April 2015. And if I pull up one of those spreadsheets and look at a day, I say, oh, yeah, that. And, and then the memory is there. Whereas, you know, I think most of us just think about it, like, what did you do on July 16, 2017? Well, I'm guessing you have no clue. I mean, I mean if you got married or one of your kids was born on that day, you do. But, but for most of us, we, we don't. And, and so my time tracking has really helped with that. So I'm mindful of my time as it's going because I'm recording it. So I'm accountable for it. And then I'm mindful of it in the past because I can look back on these spreadsheets and see where it has gone.
1: So, I mean, I can see tracking being easy when you're like tracking like work time or like here's kid time. But like, what about those like moments where you're just like, you know, you're passing through the kitchen and you pick up the, the dumb magazine you get and you flip through a few pages. Like how do you track that, that small stuff like that?
0: Well, the honest truth is it's hard to to capture all of that. And and so my system is certainly not perfect. I know some people attempt to get everything, but it, it can be very, very difficult. And, and you want to make sure that you're achieving a right balance between capturing stuff and being able to actually complete a log. So I track in half-hour blocks. My spreadsheet has the days of the week across the top running from Monday to Sunday and then half hour blocks going down the left-hand side from 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. And I just, I check in like three to four times a day and write what I've done since the last time. So no, it's not gonna be perfect. I think it's about 90% there. It's not gonna capture if I'm paging through a magazine, but it will, you know, I, I try to put slashes through to say what stuff is. Like it might be, you know, laundry slash, Read slash kids. Like that will be an entry for, for what I was spending half an hour doing. Because the point again is not to create a perfect pie chart with mutually exclusive and comprehensively exhaustive categories. It's more can you get a good picture of your life? And and the thing with my time logs, it's close enough. I can see, you know, I'm probably working more like 35 to 40 hours a week, not 50 to 60 in general. I can see. That in general, I sleep somewhere between seven and seven and a half hours a day. I can see I spend about an hour a day in the car. I can see I spend about an hour a day reading. I see I spend on average about half an hour a day exercising. So, you know, these are these are the things that I get the parameters of my life over time.
1: Well, this leads to another point you make in the book about another way to free up more time or make make it feel like you have more time is like, don't try to over-optimize your life and act, and sometimes you just got to accept, you know, good enough and that's Okay.
0: I'm a big fan of good enough. <laughs> like, you know, per- perfect is definitely overrated.
1: So another thing you found with these folks who didn't feel pressed for time is they had a lot of open space and you found on their calendar. They had a lot of open space on their calendar. And some of these people like were incredibly busy. There's, you know, high power CEOs. But you, you when you emailed them or called them and asked for a meeting, they're just like, oh yeah, just come anytime, whatever works for you. And that's kind of, you're like, wait a minute, these people should, their calendar should be just be booked nonstop. But that wasn't the case.
0: Yeah, I think we have, most of us are walking around with this story kind of unquestioned that the more important you are, the busier you are, you know, like being busy is a sign that you are important. And while it while it makes sense because people who are important have a big demand for their time, that's why they're important, right? These things follow. It doesn't follow that they naturally pack every minute of their day. And I found that many of these people use the power they have over their time to consciously leave open space. You know, for a couple of reasons. I mean, one, one, it's practical. Like, you know, if you picture yourself having meetings stacked up every half hour through the day and one runs over, which it inevitably will because something will happen, the person will be late, you'll get into an argument about something and have to keep going with it. Like, the rest of the day is just messed up. It falls over like dominoes. and, And whereas if you have open space, you can get caught up. But it's also about being, you know, able to seize opportunity. Like, if you're having a really good conversation with someone and coming up with great ideas, it's really awesome to be able to stick with it and not have to be like, yeah, I got to go, you know, racing off to this other meeting that's, I don't know, about something like office fridge policies or something pointless. But, but this is what people do when things are scheduled on their calendar for a certain time. They naturally wind up rising up the hierarchy of importance, even if they're not important at all. So I think, you know, people who are smart about their time are very, very careful about that. And it's hard to keep open space. Like if people are asking for your time, A, it's flattering. Like B, you might want to talk to them, you know, and C, like you, you say, well, I'm free, like I should, but it's, you know, open space is not nothing. Open space is often where people get their best ideas. It's where they deal with whatever is most pressing in the moment. It is where they get ready for for future crises that might happen. It's where they invest in the relationships, particularly at work uh, in those open spaces. So open space is productive and, and any given meeting isn't necessarily.
1: So I imagine the way you avoid, uh, you say, that. so here's what I, what I imagine is happening. You track your time, you can see opportunities where you can create open space in your calendar because you realize, well, I'm not really doing much from this hour to this hour, so I can leave that open. But the the trick to keeping it white, that space white is like just telling people, sorry, got something going on at that time. Can't do it then if they want to do something at that time.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, that's certainly one thing you can say, you know, I think it's people need to get more comfortable with not doing stuff and, and saying, this isn't the best use of my time. And that may not be the phrase you use to someone. You may suggest they do something else or say, well, you know, we could probably, you know, take this in a five minute phone call as opposed to a 60 minute meeting. But in general in life, I I encourage people when when somebody asks you to do something and you're asked to do it in the future, your question should not be like, am I free at that day in the future? Because that's the wrong question. Like the, the best question to ask yourself before you say yes is, would I do this thing tomorrow? Because we understand the opportunity cost for tomorrow in a way that we just can't see for the future. Like we understand how much we have going on. We understand how we'll feel for tomorrow. So, you know, if you say yes for tomorrow, like you'd cancel things in your schedule, you'd move stuff around to take on whatever somebody's asking you to do in the future, then you'll be excited in the future too. So you should definitely say yes. But, you know, if you would have no qualms about saying no to this thing for tomorrow, then, then probably you should say no to it in the future as well.
1: Yeah. That tip that took me, like, I learned that on my own. It took a while. Cause like, I would make these commitments that were months out I'm like, Oh yeah, not a problem. And then the thing finally came like a speaking engagement or something. But then like my life was just crazy then. I'm like, Oh my gosh, why did I say yes to this thing? I can't believe I did this. So yeah, that advice, if, if, of being thinking about if I were to do this tomorrow, would I say yes? And typically the answer is no.
0: (laughs) This fallacy, we're like, oh, it'll never be July. I mean, yes, it will be. It will be July (laughs) and you'll be the same person you are now.
1: So you also talk about people who don't feel pressed for time is that they invest their time in people. This is sort of like similar to the idea of the with your money, the way you can get the most out of your money is if you spend it in experiences. So I, mean, I imagine it's the same thing holds true for time?
0: Uh, pretty much. Investing in our relationships is one of the best ways we can spend time, both in, in terms of feeling like we have more time and feeling more relaxed about time and being happier about our time.
1: And what happens if like those relationships start draining you, like then like it starts feeling slow and like, these are not good memories.
0: Well then, then that's probably not the right relationship um, to be (laughs) investing that time in. And, and, you know, here's the hard truth is we do have to be choosy about these things. Time is an, you know, in time is finite, the expectations are, are probably infinite. I mean, there are a lot of people in this world. You can't be close friends with all of them. But if some relationship is energizing to you, then it is definitely worth investing more in that, even if it's not terribly convenient. It doesn't have to be a huge amount of people. You know, I think for most people, between their their spouse or you know partner maybe one or two other close relatives, two or three friends like that's that may be as much as you can actually handle with with really investing in those relationships. but on the other hand, you know if you have a handful of people even you know under 10 but who are really really close with you that 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 can take you a long way.
1: So we've been talking a lot of different tactics and things you can use mindsets you can use to feel like you have more time but like is there like one thing you think someone could start doing today? that will provide a lot of you know ROI and in that in feeling like they have more off-the-clock time?
0: Well, I think one of the best things you can do is a, a Friday afternoon planning session. And I, I do this, and it's really helped me with my time. Uh, every Friday afternoon, I sit down and I list my priorities for the next week. I list them in three categories, uh, career, relationships, and self. So what are the top two or three things I want to do in each of these categories over the course of the next week? And then I look at my calendar and I sort of figure out roughly where they're going to happen. Hopefully they're already on my calendar. Like sometimes I've I've already put stuff on in the past that I thought would be a good idea. And that's great. But if not, I say like, oh, well, I'd like to get together with a friend at some point this week for a run. How can I make that happen? Or I'd like to do something with my husband this week. How can we make that happen? Or, you know, one of my kids seems especially like he or she would need something. Let, let me try and make some special time with that person. Okay. So those, I'll go on the calendar, top priority stuff. And then... Look at the calendar, see what's already on there for the next week and, and start triaging. You know, what do what you know, ask yourself what you don't wanna do and if it has to happen, because if you are gonna cancel something, it's really much nicer to do it ahead of time so everyone can make other plans. Or you might see that you're you're meeting with someone and you don't really think it's the best use of anyone's time. Like maybe it could just become a phone call if it was supposed to be a meeting, or maybe it's scheduled for sixty minutes, but you see no possible reason that this needs to take sixty minutes. So that's when you send around the question. Oh, I really want to be clear on this agenda, right? And if, if the agenda doesn't fill sixty minutes, you knock it down. Or you know maybe it's that you're delegating something; somebody else can take something on for you. But you do this at work. You can do this at home. You know, with your your activities as well. And and then you know, you you hopefully can open up hours with, with doing these things. But even if you can't, you've also put in the good stuff with your priorities. So if the good stuff is there, the the bad stuff tends to either feel like it takes less time or actually takes less time.
1: So what I like about this stuff, it doesn't take much time or energy to do this either.
0: No, no. And I don't know about you, but I'm really not doing much on Friday afternoon in the first place. Like, you know, it's so hard to start anything new at that point. So I'm really just more in future planning mode by that point.
1: Well, Laura, where can people go to learn more about your work?
0: So I'd love if people would come visit my website, uh, lauravandercam.com. You can you know, read about the, the book Off the Clock that we were talking about. I also have a new book coming out in March called Juliet's School of Possibilities, which is a time management fable. So hopefully some of your listeners will check that out as well.
1: And also at your website, you have the time log sheets that people can download and use for themselves, right?
0: Yeah, I definitely do. Um, you can... Fill out the form on my website to be emailed a time log and a, a time management guide. But, you know, you can also just make your own spreadsheet. It's really nothing fancy, I promise. But you can track time other ways, too. I mean, there's there's dozens of commercial time tracking apps on the market. I mean, you can walk around with a little notebook if you want to look all artsy. It, it, the tool itself doesn't matter. I just suggest people actually try doing it.
1: Well, great. Well, Laura Vandercam, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: My guest today was Laura Vanderkam. We discussed her book, Off the Clock. It's available on amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about her work at our website, lauravanderkam.com. Also check out her podcast. She's got one called Before Breakfast and another one called Best of Both Worlds. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash offtheclock, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find all of our podcast archives. we got 490 there plus there. Also thousands of articles and just about anything, personal finances, fitness, how to be a better husband, better father, you name it, we've got it. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who would think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay, reminding you not only to listen the AWIN podcast, but put what you've heard into action. And one last thing before we go, we have an enrollment going on right now for sterniuslife.co Sternious Life is an online platform that we created to help you put into action all the things we've been writing about in Art of Manliness for the past 11 years and talking about on the podcast. We've got badges, we've got accountability for physical fitness, good deeds, and you get weekly challenges every single week. They're gonna push you outside of your comfort zone. Enrollment closes April 4th, that's Thursday, or when we fill the three classes that we have enrolling this year. So it's whichever one comes first. So if you want to sign up early, because they usually fill pretty fast, so head to strenuouslife.co if you want to get on in this enrollment. If you don't, you're not ready yet, make sure to put your email on the waiting list so you can find out when our next enrollment opens up. Probably going to be in another three months. So strenuouslife.co, check it out. I hope to see you there.